Super Jump Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Mitchell Wolf, and I'm here with editor-in-chief of Super Jump Magazine, James Burns. Hey, James, how's it going? It's going great. How are you? I am. I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm doing all right. Uh, I'm doing all right. I haven't been playing too many video games recently. Uh, I, I've been working on a big project of my own, but there, there's been this, this feeling I've had recently where I just really want to replay... Breath of the Wild and Super Mario Odyssey and that's happened since I played those games for the first time last year and I've kind of been trying to hold off with the exception of Master Mode and then going back into Odyssey for like the Luigi thing oh yeah Um, because I I want to not know those games so well backward and forward I don't want to memorize all of it because with those games specifically there's a huge benefit to just not knowing what's going to happen to to not completely memorizing the world and i don't want to i don't want to jump the gun i don't want to replay those games before enough time has passed for me to like not just be building on previous mm. memories do you know what i mean yeah i, I kind of got caught by that cuz i um i had a file in super mario odyssey where i was i don't know where i was but i was well past the kind of um, the ceiling of, you know, getting all the moons you need to finish the game. I was way, way beyond that. Um, I think I was on the darker side of the moon or something, which I haven't finished. Um, and yeah, I started another file cause I, I, I wanted to keep playing the game, but I wanted to kind of play the early parts over again, but you're right. Like I really should have given it a bit more time cause I kind of knew where most things were and I was almost going through it by rote a little bit which is not really very fun yeah yeah like uh, for me it was somewhere around there are let's see there are 880 unique moons in that game and there Mm -hmm. was some somewhere around i'd say halfway like 440 yeah at that point i had been to every world except like that very last one one trial one mission place I, yeah. I'd been to every world and I'd explored a lot and everything past that was just like, I'm still finding a lot of new stuff. I didn't do complete sweeps of any of the worlds before that. But yeah, that's it was right. a little less, it's just a little less magical than like totally yeah. experiencing a new world for the first time. Yeah, it's kind of like um, you've had your meal and now you're just licking the crumbs off the plate. <laughs> There's only so much you can do that. Only so yeah. much joy you can get from yeah. that. <laughs> that. That's exactly it. That's that's totally it. I I, uh, I I wonder how that differs, like why that differs. I know how it differs from um, Mario 3D World. Because in Mario mm. 3D World, I uh, th- those levels are so linear. I liked to go through it. A, a lot it was fun to go through it and i would just get better at those worlds and it wouldn't really be that big of an issue that i had seen them before it, it wasn't really something i was worried about at all actually uh and then honestly i do it does matter that i mm. hadn't seen or that i have or had not seen those worlds before like that that was a big game changer in how much i i was in, enjoying the level it's still really fun to go through in fact Okay, so I, I lied. I did play through it after I played through it the first time. Like, I think right after I did it. I just remember that now. Because yeah. the first thing, time I did it... We're way off topic. This is already a tangent. <laughs> the first time I played through the game, it was maybe 60 hours to do, like, everything. 
Yeah. Uh, and then I just I just wanted to see how fast I could get to the end of the game if I started from the beginning knowing what I knew. And I got to the end in three hours, around three hours, not trying, like, I definitely am not a speedrunner of any kind, uh, but you, you just get there. It's just easier to get there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and there's a difference between, I think there's like a basic difference between doing a kind of running, running a gauntlet, like running a course beginning to end. It's kind of like a racetrack. You know, you can go round it again and again and again and get better each time versus like, you know, this more Super Mario 64 style world where you can go in any direction. And so much of the gameplay and so much of what's interesting is that surprise element and that discovery element. Once you've kind of hit that point, once you've done the discovery, you've really got to give it a while. You've got to let yourself forget, I think, as much as you can. Right. Well, I've been given a lot of things time to forget them uh, <laughs> during this week's Playtime Report. In the Newsy Nibble, we'll talk a little bit about a, uh, a potentially exciting acquisition. We'll see how that goes. And during the Hot Topic, we have a very controversial, uh, a very controversial piece of information brought forth by Jason Schreier from Kotaku. Uh, and that's the show. It's it's going to be a good show. Let's start with the Playtime Report. So James, what have you been playing since you were on, not last episode, but two episodes ago? Well, I uh, as great as Destiny 2 Forsaken was, I put it down when Assassin's Creed Odyssey came out. And that's all I've been playing for the last... I guess couple of weeks. I'm gonna tell you, I had a feeling. I had a feeling you weren't gonna keep super honest with Destiny. Yeah, yeah. I'm not really. I, I'm even though I've been, uh, you know, kind of a long time player of Destiny. It is the kind of game where I'll just dip into it now and then. It's kind of like the way I play Splatoon Two. It's, you know, if if I don't necessarily want to get invested in a really big long gameplay session. I just want to kind of jump in and out of something easily. Destiny is one of my go-to games for that. Um, but I, I don't kind of do the whole, you know, daily, weekly challenges. Like, a, it, for me, it's not like a lifestyle game as it is for some. And that's probably partly because I don't really do the raids or, you know, there are big pieces of the game that you really need, you know, a lot of other players. You need to make that time commitment, which I just... I can't make it in one sitting. I've got to kind of do it right. bit by bit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I am. I've been playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Uh, I looked at the. It, it keeps track of uh, on your save games. It keeps track of how long you've been playing, which is good. Um, so last night when I finished playing it, um, I saw that I was about just shy of fifteen hours so far. Um, and I would say, and, and this is not really a measure of like how complete I am in the game. Um, but when I kind of zoom out and look at the world map after about 15 hours, I would guess that I've uncovered maybe one third of the map, maybe a little bit less. Yeah. Um, so everything people are saying about the size of this game is true. Like even compared to something as massive as 
Breath of the Wild um, and even Origins, which was quite a big game as well. It seems to be on a whole other level again. Like I, I don't know. I can't think of a game I've seen with a world this big. It's, it's almost so big that it's intimidating. Um, and I'm reading that a lot of people are sort of, um, maybe they're finishing the campaign at 50 or 60 hours, but they have a lot of side missions and activities to do. I think for me, this is probably a 100 hour game really before I put it down. Yeah. That's, um, that's impressive. A lot of what I'm seeing about this game is just way more positive than origins. Origins seems to have been, um, positive in its own right, especially after the two year gap before the last Assassin's Creed's before it, which were not seen as, as well, not reviewed as well, but origins also Mm. had some, some noticeable problems that people uh, caught on to. Odyssey seems to have corrected a lot of it. How do you feel about um, th- this newer post-Gap Assassin's Creed vibe from Origins and Odyssey? It, it seems like it's changed. It seems like the the series has changed significantly. Yeah, I mean, th- there are a few there are a few interesting discussions happening within kind of the Assassin's Creed fan community around these latest two games. And I have to admit, I don't really have a a dog in that fight at all, um, except to say that, you know, Assassin's Creed has always had um, the kind of modern day element of the story with the animus and traveling back in time and the conspiracy surrounding that. And I have to admit, I haven't really followed that at all. It, it, get, it seems to me that it gets pretty convoluted. Um, but what's interesting in Origins, and especially in Odyssey, it's really noticeable in Odyssey, there is hardly any reference to the modern day story at all. I mean, Odyssey now and then would kind of take a break and bring you into the modern world and you'd have to do some stealthy bits and... I mean, the long and short of it is I was just waiting for those sections to be over. I was annoyed because they were taking me away from ancient Egypt and I found them irritating. Um, Odyssey does that a lot less, almost to the point where it's just, it just sort of feels irrelevant. It feels like they're trying to sidestep it as much as they can and just focus on the story in ancient Greece, which is great because the story is brilliant. Um, And one of the big changes I've noticed between even Origins and Odyssey is the writing in Odyssey is fantastic. It is really, really great. And it's not just dialogue. It's actually, and this is sort of hard to articulate, but I get the strong feeling as I'm playing that even the scenarios that you encounter especially with side quests that each of those scenarios has had a lot of thought put into it and that it's kind of feels like it's been spearheaded by writers rather than developers if that makes sense it's it doesn't feel like a development team has built something mechanically and then a writer has had to come along and kind of somehow connect up a story and dialogue it feels like it's the other way around like a writer 
or a really great writing team has come up with some really clever and interesting stories. And then the mechanics have kind of fit into that. Um, and so one of the interesting things is in a lot of these games, you know, you do the main story campaign. That's where the bulk of the story happens. Sure. Yeah. And there's always a ton of side quests and they usually involve, you know, farmer lost his pig, go and find his pig, you know, um, something, you know, I dropped an item down a well, go down into the well and fight the bandits like the usual stuff. This, this is very different. Um, mechanically it, you could kind of boil a lot of the side quests down to fetch quests and that sort of thing. If you're being really reductive, but some of the stories are just surprisingly emotional and personal and I'm finding myself, I'll, I'll go and do a side quest somewhere way off the beaten path and find that it has kind of um, multiple sub quests within it and uh, the ability to make pretty significant choices about the outcome and the way characters react to your choices is really interesting and, and um how would I put it? it? It can be very hard to predict the impact of your actions, which is awesome because you don't feel like you're sitting there kind of playing a numbers game, you know, trying to get the best outcome. You really are just going along with the scenario as it's unfolding. And you really are just, um, you know, approaching the situations maybe as you really would. Um, so I, that's the part that surprised me more than anything you know, it's, it's easy to talk about how gorgeous the world looks and, um, you know, the, the mechanics are a lot better. I think than origins, the combat in particular is much, much faster and more fluid. The environments are a lot more varied just because of where you are. You know, you're not out in the desert. You're, you're in Greece, you're going through the Greek islands. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous game. But it, it's really the, the narrative and the characters and the dialogue and the scenarios that are constantly surprising me. And that's the thing that's kind of keeping me moving forward. That's really impressive for an open world game to, to have such a strong narrative focus. Because um, you can still do or go anywhere you want and it, it needs to hold up. And, and it sounds like it does no matter what you try to do. It, it really does. And... One of the other things that's interesting too is um, I think with a lot of these kinds of games, there's this enormous breadth and very little depth. So, you know, there's lots of wonderful places to visit and, and all that sort of thing. And it's fun to explore, but quite often you'll go to explore somewhere and there might not be much to do. There might be a lot to look at, but there's not much to interact with. Whereas in this game, like, just to give you an example, without being too spoilery, I um, I had to travel between you know one one city state and another. There was quite a big distance between them, and I had to travel out on the ocean, and that's a whole other area of this game that's awesome. I had to travel out on the open ocean, and of course, I'm passing a ton of different islands and countries and all the rest of it on the way, and. I just happened to stop off at one in between that looked interesting. There was no real reason for me to go there. 
There was there were no markers on my map indicating that I should stop there. But I stopped there and I ended up uncovering this whole plot about a local dictator who's corrupt and there are these group of people trying to overthrow him and he's like um he's controlling all the the shipping to and from the island and his brother is a slave and like this this whole massively kind of really interesting intricate story but as far as i can tell you could sail past this island and you could complete the campaign and everything and never see this, never see any of this. And I reckon I spent a good probably hour and a half, two hours just on that island going through this quest chain that had nothing to do with the main plot at all. That's pretty wild. It, it, it is just fantastic. Like there was so much love and care put into it. Um, so it's it's the kind of game that I think you know, not to get into like review recommendations, but even though it says Assassin's Creed in the name, you, you don't have to have ever played an Assassin's Creed. Like if you, if you like Zelda, if you like um, The Witcher 3, it reminded me a lot of The Witcher 3. If you like those big RPGs with awesome stories and characters, and especially if you have any interest in ancient Greece, um... It, it's just exceptional. It's it's really a must-play, I think. Well, speaking about sailing past easily missable islands, I've been playing Sea of Thieves a little <laughs> bit. Um, sea of Thieves had an update uh, within the last couple of weeks called mm. Forgotten Shores. This is the biggest... This is likely the biggest expansion the game's gotten since its launch. Um, yeah. the, the gist of it is that a, a few things have been added. Now you have rowboats. Rowboats can be found throughout the world, just like loot can be found. Um, you find a rowboat, you get in it, you sail it back, or not sail, it's a rowboat. You row it back to your boat, and you can dock it in the back. Um, you can use these rowboats for any number of reasons. It's much faster than swimming. It's even a little faster than walking, um, rowing a, a, a boat around. That's just like an interesting little mechanical addition to the game that that boosts your options considerably yeah um the other the 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 biggest thing that this adds though are 15 new islands in a new part of the ocean called the devil's roar um if you've played sea of thieves you'll know that if you go off the map too much uh there, there's like a curse on the Sea of Thieves. So if, if you try to sail away, the ocean will turn to blood and your ship will just basically melt um, and you'll die, which is, is a horrifying image. And it's really scary to do it if you don't know what's going to happen if you try it. Uh, yeah. I remember trying that for the first time and just being, just like <laughs> being super surprised. Um, but part of that, part of that Devil's Shroud has opened up on the east side of the map and now there's just mm-hmm. an entire new, like, it's about one-third the size of the original map uh, added to the map. And oh, that's cool. there are, uh, it's, it's called the Devil's Roar. There are volcanoes all over the place and they explode. Um, it's very hot in general. You can get, uh, if, you, if you swim in water that is too hot, you'll, you'll get hurt from it. 
There are geysers that are constantly erupting and will push you like like far up into the air. Um, a lot of stuff going on. Um, yeah, and, and that's that's the gist of it. That's that's the up and the down. Um, it it it's not a whole lot. It's there. Are, there's new loot to be found there that's pretty similar to the old stuff. It's just like fire themed, and it, it mm-hmm. goes for a little bit more when you when you sell it back to the appropriate person because it's understood that you need to brave rougher areas in order to get that stuff yeah yeah Is, um yeah sorry what were you yeah so i'm just curious because i i i've sort of followed the updates vaguely followed them um and i played sea of thieves quite a bit when it first came out but i haven't played it in a long time so i'm i'm just wondering like as someone that's kind of been playing it from the beginning, is it is it still holding your interest? Are you kind of playing it less now? And is there something that you're really... Like, looking at it now, is there a particular big gap that you really think they need to fill next? Oh, yeah. I've, I've been playing a lot less. In fact, uh, I, I played once or twice after this update came out, but before that update came out, it had been almost a month. Mm. Uh, since I had played last, I I played with friend of the show Jeff Onan, who is, of course is very into Sea of Thieves, and that's that's like what he most of what he does right now. Um, yeah. And in, first of all, it's just great to have someone that like knows the game so well on your on your crew, uh, just yeah. to direct you through. Like if if you have any hesitancy or or or, or any questions about what you should be doing at any given moment. You'll you'll have the answer right there. So if you if you have the opportunity to crew up with Jeff Owen, I would recommend it. But uh, for me personally, I, I'm I'm a lot less attached to the game as it goes on. Um, it it's just that the things that are being added are there there are new things to do in terms of new voyages. One thing I didn't mention about this uh, newer update, Forsaken Shores is that it also adds a new kind of voyage. It's called mm. a cargo run. Uh, it's basically a, a Merchants Alliance thing. that It helps your Merchants Alliance uh, reputation. If you've played before, you, you know what that is. Um, mm. But it it, it 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 gives you the cargo that you need to transport to a certain island. It, it shows you what island you need to bring it to. Um, and the the twist is that you can that cargo can break. So you have rum bottles, which uh, you don't want to bounce around too much or else they'll shatter. You have cloth, which you don't want to get too wet. And you have plants, which you do want to get wet. Uh, and you need to make sure are, are, are moistened throughout the, the journey. Um, and and, and that's, that's been cool. That's like a new take on it. But at the end of the day, this like I don't know how many times I can look at the prospect of sailing stuff from one island to another and it takes a really long time to sail i mean sailing is fun in sea of thieves it's more fun than probably any game in which i've sailed before mm. um but it's still that's what it is and uh there, there's been some some talk that the next major content update after this one is going to be story based and that'll be a huge different thing but just just for me personally Adding more islands like Forsaken Shore does, or adding new threats like the uh, the previous one did. They added the uh, the skeleton ships. There are AI pirate ships in the world now that you can just shoot down and take their loot. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all cool, but with that, without a like concrete achievable goal, um, I, I, and I assume many other gamers like me who enjoy multiplayer games, but probably play single player games way more. Um, they're they're gonna bounce off. They're gonna bounce off of Sea of Thieves, and it's yeah. it's still a cool game, and it's it's the a great way to spend time with your friends. Uh, but you know, like I I can't honestly tell you, James. Like since the last time you played, if there's anything that's been added to the game that's fundamentally gonna change your experience uh, experience there. Yeah, 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 and I think and and some of the um. Some of the issues I had were a little bit were fairly specific, like just the the mechanics around the combat and the movement, and you know there are a couple of things to me that just felt a little bit um, a little bit undercooked, um, and, and I know they're very specific, like they don't really speak to kind of the broader goals in the world or variation on activities and that sort of thing, but. I just, I remember thinking that if I found the actual combat more fun and more interesting, that I can imagine that kind of um, making up for a lot of other gaps, Um, you know, because then I'd kind of be motivated to jump in and hunt some skeletons or whatever um, and and maybe not be so worried or maybe not notice the other gaps quite as much. Yeah. but it yeah, sounds like enough. have they done anything kind of with the the core mechanics at all or not really? Not really. Um, there's yeah. been some additions to ship combat uh, in, mm-hmm. in in the form of cursed cannonballs that you can shoot at the ship, and uh, it, 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 if you shoot a ship altering cannonball at at another ship, it'll do something weird like it'll it'll uh, drop their anchor, or it will. Um, prohibit their steering wheel from being moved something like that uh-huh. or there's also pirate altering yeah. curse cannonballs that you can shoot and then like all of a sudden they just fall asleep immediately um so there's more <laughs> options especially for ship battles that have been added yeah. but for uh for hand-to-hand like your actual pirates stuff yep. that's not changed uh nearly at all I'm, I'm sure there's been a lot of like very very small but also very many um small quality of life patches that might have added up into a conce- uh, perceivable difference since the last time you played. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't really know. Um, yeah. But but nothing significant, nothing that comes to mind. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I it, It's one of those things where it's like the idea of a, a diet MMO that is an adventure game, but also this multiplayer game where you share a world. I love it. I'm so into it. I, I've, I've been into the idea since the game was announced. It, it's just, it doesn't quite, it's not quite there for me uh, yet. And I keep saying, like, maybe it'll be there in a, in a year where, where they've had a lot of other um, expansions tacked onto this game in the meantime. And th- that might be the case, but, you know, it hasn't been a year, so we're, we'll see how it goes. Um, yeah. But let's head into the newsy nibble. <laughs> So, uh, James, you hear about this? Uh, Microsoft might buy Obsidian Entertainment. Good old Microsoft opening up the wallet again, eh? Yeah, they do it <laughs> consistently. Um, 
It's an interesting prospect. Uh, at E3 this year, Microsoft announced that they were expanding their lineup of first-party studios by five. They were mm. creating a new one somewhere in Santa Mar- Monica that I've I've forgotten the name of. But then they they bought Compulsion Games that made We Happy Few. They bought yep. the Undead Games, Undead Dead Labs, oh, whatever it's undead called. Undead Labs, yeah. The State of Decay yep. people. Mm-hmm. Um, they bought Playground, which are the forts of people, and rumor has it that they are working on a Fable game. And they bought, and this is the big one from E3, they bought Ninja Theory. Uh, yeah. That that was the developer of Hellblade, Senate was Sacrifice, a notable, very independent developer who's always yeah. been trying to make uh, AAA feeling and looking games on a single A budget. And now they're just part of the biggest corporation in the world, or one of the top five at least. Um, so we have another that, that is joining that, that rank. Uh, also a previously fiercely independent um, we'll call them a double A studio, I suppose. Uh, Obsidian yeah. Games, Obsidian Entertainment, not games. Uh, they're known for Fallout New Vegas, South Park: The Stick of Truth, Pillars of Eternity, um, other RPGs. They they did a lot. Um, they are they were originally for a little history lesson on an Obsidian. They were originally the developers of Fallout Two at a different studio. Um, and then the studio that owned them then shut their branch down. They left and formed Obsidian. Um, and they've been doing a lot of games that are very different in, in, uh, in, in IP and feel and, uh, scope, but they are all, um, for the most part, RPGs. So, so what do you think about this? What, what's your, what's your take? Yeah, I mean, it's... Look, it's it's great if you're a um, it's great if you're an Xbox owner, I guess. Um, if this does happen, I mean, I think Microsoft definitely acknowledged at E3, you know, with the purchases they've already announced, they've definitely acknowledged that that they've obviously got this gap around kind of first party exclusives, second party exclusives, and they're obviously you know working hard to fill that gap. Um, Obsidian would be, from a Microsoft point of view, I think Obsidian would be an, an awesome studio to have. Um, they're, you know, they, especially from an RPG perspective, I guess, not to say that's all they have to create, but, you know, that's obviously a genre they know very well. And that that's kind of a significant area, um, uh, I guess, a significant gap area on Xbox when it comes to exclusives. Um, from an Obsidian point of view, it's interesting. Like I, I read some various things about them. Like they've been, they've obviously been very successful and they've obviously been a studio that's had, that's been responsible for a number of really big and important titles, but they also seem to be a, a bit of a poster child for like the boom and bust yeah. Um, you know, cycle that, that developers can go through because they've had really major highs and then they've had periods where they've almost gone out of business completely um so the argument at the moment is that you know if microsoft purchases them it's basically going to give them the the financial stability and the resources they need to 
hopefully kind of do whatever they want. Um, although I did read that they uh, they were they were developing a game at one stage. I can't remember the name that was cancelled by Microsoft. I believe. Um, I can't yeah. remember the yeah, name, that, but they. That is true. Yeah. So there's there's a bit of there's some interesting kind of contrary reports going on because some people that that I think have been involved with Obsidian in the past have said have sort of said, oh, I can't imagine this happening because I can't imagine Obsidian and Microsoft working together. They had a bit of a bit of a tense relationship at one stage. But on the other hand, I guess it it seems to make business sense. So, um, I mean, I guess watch this space, but <laughs> from from the reporting so far, it seems like it's pretty likely. Like a lot of people are saying it's um, like it, it's just about a done deal. Yeah, I I um, I, I, I believe this will happen. Um, it just mm. goes right in line with what Microsoft is trying to do. Yeah, Microsoft, as you said earlier, is in a precarious situation where they're trying to be a big boy in the console arena. They've got their big boy diapers on, and they they're looking at their friends Nintendo and Sony. Um, and despite the fact that they have so much more money than either of those companies, uh, they they're based in America, which means that they are closer to a lot of leading tech companies than either of those companies. Um, that they have all the opportunities to do well, they just don't have the first parties. Uh, the, the, they don't have the first parties. They they just don't. Um, so if the Xbox Four or Two, depending on how you're counting, comes out <laughs> and it has a three four three game, a rare game, um, a playground game, an Obsidian game, a Ninja Theory game. All of these games at launch for a new system, that could really challenge that perception. That could really, really challenge that perception of uh, how that's going to go for Microsoft. So I think from Microsoft's standpoint, it's a good decision. Uh, I don't imagine that Obsidian is going to be like their most expensive buy they've ever bought. Um, mm. But Microsoft also is just like the reason they need so many first party studios now they need some more new ones is because in the past they've closed ensemble and they've closed uh lion's lion's head lion yeah. head is it lion head or lion, lion gate head. i mix those two up oh lion head lion gate is the film company oh right on <laughs> yep. yeah uh <laughs> they, they closed lion head they closed ensemble they canceled so many um exclusive projects they were funding like uh scalebound and yeah that was to be fair that was pre phil spencer and it, it is under different leadership now uh and phil spencer definitely doesn't like he doesn't seem to like that strategy he hasn't employed it uh in fact he's only done the opposite uh so maybe it's unfair um but i do i do get nervous when i hear companies like microsoft are buying up uh, a lot of other companies at once because, like, if this is the sixth major studio edition this year, um, all six need to perform excellently to validate their own existence within Microsoft, right? Because as soon as Compulsion Games is like, 
okay, well, we're one of the six and we haven't prepared as much for Microsoft as the other five, they're probably being shut down. And then, in that case, it would have been better for them to have not been bought. Um, well, maybe. It, I guess it's all a math problem of, like, how much money would you have made from the purchase and how much money would you have continued to make without being shut down and all that. Um, but it, it, it does... Yeah. It does... It feels... It feels sketchy. It feels a little bit sketchy to, to be, like, one of these many things that Microsoft now has to, to balance, like, okay, I need to shut down something this year because not everyone's making <laughs> enough games. Is it going to be rare? Is it going to be Obsidian? Who knows? Um, yeah. So, yeah. It, it makes me wonder, and, and this is really gets into the inside baseball stuff, um, but, it, but it really matters. Um, it makes me wonder how much they've changed their internal structure at Microsoft because I I've read stories and, and heard interviews with xbox execs previous execs who um <clears throat> they talked about kind of the the period where they were developing the xbox one itself and kind of the early months of the xbox one being on the shelves and a lot of the problems they had i i think were because the xbox business was not just reporting up to kind of one person like nadella for example you had this giant bureaucratic committee of people who all had to be satisfied, many of whom I think probably didn't really understand the game's business and and maybe they had other reasons to be involved. Um, I get the impression, and I, I don't know how true this is, but I get the impression that they've changed the structure quite a bit. And it sounds to me like, one of Phil Spencer's most important roles, aside from being an advocate for Xbox internally, is to actually maybe shield and protect the Xbox business a little bit from some of those other influences in Microsoft. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know if Spencer is... I don't know who he's reporting to now, but I'm sure I read that he now reports directly to Satya Nadella. Um and, and I think if that's the case and he can kind of protect the business, that's really great. Like that means they can actually, uh, they can do these purchases and probably what they're going to do is they're going to accept a period of time where these companies are going to be, you know, effectively just costing them just because of the turnaround, you know, like it'll take a couple of years to develop a game, for example. So hopefully that's what's happening and you know they've got that structure in place because if they do then i think this could mean really good things for the next xbox definitely so phil spencer's uh position within the company uh changed within a year and a half ago i think Mm. it it was he was just the president of, of the xbox division of microsoft but then it it um he he got a seat on the board of Microsoft and he, his title was changed to like vice president of gaming. So it, it was higher than the Xbox division, but then the Xbox division was kind of merged into his own thing again, which seems like horizontal movement, but that just means that the Xbox division, the the head of the Xbox division is also along the heads of the company. So um, that, 
that does and it, at least should mean that um xbox is, is a much bigger thing for microsoft that you can't just tell them what to do without any repercussions mm. um but i want to talk about this from from obsidian standpoint uh for them i think this is good for them i think this is solidly good i i you know, if they're shut down in five years, I'll, I'll be wrong. I don't think that's going to happen. But regardless, Pillars of Eternity 1 and 2 were crowdfunded. They don't have to, they just don't have to crowdfund anymore. That's so much less stressful. Yeah. That That's incredibly less stressful. And, and they've had to go back and forth between different licensed IPs like Fallout and South Park and all of these... Uh, licensed things where, where their pillars games are they have a huge fan base uh it's their it seems like their favorite thing that they do in, in at least in terms of like internal enthusiasm yeah and uh yeah. The, the the way to do more things like that in a safer environment is to be owned by a console maker uh and and it looks like that is going to happen for them yeah definitely it, yeah, it, it could really secure their future. I mean, hopefully that's how it works out um, and it just gives them the opportunity to really just focus on being creative and doing what they want to do and not, not worrying about, you know, where does the next funding come from? Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope they do a launch game. I hope they, they do a launch game yeah. for the, the next Xbox. I hope there's a lot of launch games for the next Xbox because they need they need a lot <laughs> they need a lot right up front. Um, with with the Xbox brand, it's just they've they've been so consumer friendly for the last three years or so, and I I want to see that rewarded, um, and I I want to see that respected because it's it's admirable. They're the only ones that really care much about. Um, backward compatibility and in games preservation to the degree that they do and they're they're the only ones that have launched anything like the game pass which is just such a good accessibility uh move and it, in terms of actual accessibility the, the the controller they've made for the xbox one uh the the uh disability accessibility contr- controller that's been fantastic uh, mm. so i i want to see them rewarded for that and if that means uh getting studios like ninja theory and obsidian to make games for their next console i i I hope it works out um but let's move on to purchasing a t-shirt that says microtransactions are cancer at hot topic did you see what i i did there i said that Uh, i said i I see what you did yeah (laughs) yeah Uh, I winked and nudged at you from all the way across the ocean. I felt it. Uh, so Jason Schreier on, on Twitter. He's a big Kotaku um, editor, I think. Never mind. I don't want to put that out in the world. I have no idea what his specific he, title he, is. He's got a big title. He's some sort of editor. Yeah, I'm sure he's an editor of, of something. He edits. Of something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> on Twitter, he said, uh, kind of out of the blue, this was on October 10th. Here's my take. I've spent around 25 hours with Assassin's Creed Odyssey so far, and one, it's phenomenal. Two, I've never once noticed or thought about the XP booster or microtransactions. That probably wouldn't make for much of a YouTube video, though. 
It's sad how YouTube facilitates this culture where people toss around words like exploitative and predatory without really thinking about what they mean. Assassin's Creed's microtransactions are, at worst, annoying. They're not a cancer on the video game industry. So let's, he said some more stuff later, but I, I want to take it like one at a time. Those were two tweets. Uh, how, what, what was your take on, on reading that? Were you thinking about microtransactions recently? You played through Assassin's Creed Odyssey. What, was it on your mind? It's always on my mind, Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> Be, just because it... So there's a, there's a great example of, of what he's talking about around, um, around it not making for much of a YouTube video. Uh, there's a YouTuber that I... Um, that I have followed and he's, he's made some pretty good videos in the past. And, um, he saw, he, he somehow got word. I don't know how official it was. It might've been in a job listing or something like that. He somehow got word that there were going to be like in-game purchases in the next Halo. Um, oh. and in from Infinite? memory. Yeah. Yeah. That seems uh, way too far out to know anything like that. Yeah, there was some, but it was some very vague statement that, you know, there would be some kind of purchase in addition to the game itself. I can't remember the exact terminology, but it was, you're right. Like it's so far away. We have no idea. I don't think that's know. an Xbox one game even like that's, that's probably yeah. a really long time from now. Oh, I think actually it's coming back to me a bit. I think it was because they were, they did post a job ad and I, uh, 343, I think posted a job ad and it was about, it was about, um, a role to do with like player psychology and purchasing habits. And it, it was oh, kind of hinting at that. So it was all very vague. And, um, to be and fair, this that, guy, could be, that could be literally anything, but sure. Well, yeah, and that was my that was my point because this guy he took that information. He proceeded to post a really angry YouTube video going after three four three. Oh, you've ruined Halo with microtransactions. You know the whole the whole thing, and and I don't really tend to get into <laughs> Twitter debates. I try and avoid that, but I really felt compelled to respond because in a lot of other cases he's been a pretty reasonable guy, and I said, hang on. You, you're going off this really vague job description. The game is years away. You have no idea what this is about, what it applies to, how it's going to be leveraged. And you're already going after the people at 343. And I, when I said that, I, I had a couple of people agree with me. He actually responded to me and said something about, you know, effectively that I was naive and look at all these other games that have had microtransactions and that have had loot boxes and that have had, he kind of went into all this other mentioned all these other, I thought irrelevant examples and, um, and all of his, <clears throat> a lot of his sort of followers on Twitter just sort of agreed, you know, basically saying, well, you know, you're a sheep if you think this is okay, blah, blah, blah. And it, it just made me step back and think, well, hang on a minute. Like we, we've gotten to this point where the minute there's any remote suggestion of anything vaguely approaching 
some sort of post-game purchase, no matter what it is, it's just there's this instant reaction of, you know, this is cancer. The developers are just out to screw us. Uh, you know, I'm going to boycott this game. And I'm thinking, well, we don't know anything about it yet. Like, how about we just have some basic courtesy, just extend some basic courtesy to this team and let's just wait yeah. and see, shall we? You know, like, let's just wait and see. Is that really so hard? I'm a bit um, of two minds about something like this because uh, on, on the one hand, if you really are annoyed by something like this and i i i'm not i don't think i'm qualified at the moment to say whether or not like you should be or shouldn't be annoyed by something like this um whether or not you are if you are annoyed you should voice it you should you should have that be known and if you can in a non-threatening non-violent way reach the people responsible for those uh those decisions that you're you're taking issue with yeah you should do that um but of course you know if you extrapolate from one source that says maybe if you look at it in a certain light there might be microtransactions or not in a game that won't come out for like two years on a console Mm. you haven't even seen yet yeah obviously you you want to voice that more like it's possible Halo might have microtransactions in the future. If that is the case, I would not like that. <laughs> and it, it obviously sounds weaker. It, you know, it, it sounds weaker than they've ruined Halo. But um, I, I, I think that that well, level of, of carefulness with disagreeing yes. with something that is kind of a, a, a non-entity at the moment has been lost a little bit in the just what is good or bad for views on on youtube um of course jason schreier's tweets weren't uh without controversy they were very controversial they had he had a lot of people uh tweeting back at him and i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna say that a lot of the people i saw tweeting back at jason were fine (laughs) <laughs> with a question mark uh they i thought they were they were using their words to a certain extent i i like that in a conversation that that's a that's a good thing to have <laughs> um I, I saw a lot of people that were super not and uh a, a surprising bulk of people that were criticizing schreier for uh being jewish which is absolutely not okay uh super uncool in every conceivable way uh, and, and linking linking that to the the stereotype of being okay with charging extra or being more money oh, oriented God. with Judaism, yeah. yeah, that was awful. Oh, blood, jeez, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't even want to. Is dwell that on the that. level of debate we're at? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, and I think so it, it is unfortunately like that's. It's just it it drives yeah. only the most extreme. It's being like internet culture drives only the most mm. extreme most unpalatable or sensational thing to the top where you can see it the easiest and that that just sucks it that's just awful i don't even want to yeah. i don't want to do it i don't want to talk about it any more than we already have that specific aspect of it but later on um a day later on the 11th jason trier uh tweeted this my final thought is basically that i tweeted about this the other day and got some 
Oh no, I'm sorry, I read that wrong. I'll, I'll take that one more time. My final thought is basically that. I tweeted about this the other day and got some irate reactions because I didn't even think about the microtransactions in the game, and I was critiquing the YouTube climate of just getting in front of a camera and screaming about how every microtransaction is predatory, which I certainly don't believe. I think it's important to have nuanced conversations about these things, but yeah, as I'm playing the game, the question is always going to be there, and that kind of ruins the integrity of the game, is having you wonder, oh man, is this really supposed to be tough? Am I getting played here? Um, referencing, He's referencing the fact that like in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, um, in, it, it, it is a lot of a, it's a much harder game without the microtransactions. So he's wondering here, is this supposed to be tough? And then he goes on to say, it makes me wonder if it would just be more honest for these companies to be like, hey, we're going to charge you $80 for this game and that's the end of it and they won't put anything like this in. Is it going to happen? Who knows? Maybe. It was one of my predictions this year. But ultimately, this is a great game that I'm enjoying a lot of and not thinking about the microtransactions. So that's why I said that. I want more people to play this game because I'm really glad I did. So that gets mm. to the bottom of it a little bit. Um, I, yeah. I, yeah. You know, uh, I, I, I think the... What's interesting here is that what he said on that second day is actually, you know, in, in certain parts of, of that thing, he it, it's actually pretty against microtransactions. He's saying the in, the integrity of the game was ruined and he uh, he was wondering if something was supposed to be a certain way the whole time because of microtransactions being in that game, which kind of goes against his earlier statement, but he does reiterate that he... Uh, thinks that saying they're all predatory or they're all cancerous is a it, it's probably an unnuanced opinion so i i i think that's interesting because it seems like he's flip-flopped but i honestly don't think he has i i think it's just if if you're gonna paint someone as 100 percent or zero percent a thing you're gonna be wrong yeah uh, and that's the key point for me. I mean, I, I have no issue with people criticizing certain microtransactions. I mean, I, I definitely would in, in quite a few cases. But I think we seem to be just sort of generally, whether it's this or almost any other topic, we seem to be kind of living in a world where everything is is this zero-sum situation. You're either for or against and you're wholesale for or wholesale against when of course in reality it's far more nuanced and complex than that i mean you can even when people say they're against microtransactions i often ask the question well what does that mean because yeah. to me that's like saying well i don't like transactions well what the <laughs> hell does that mean i yeah, mean I, I don't like spend you know, i don't like the verb spend. yeah I, I don't like spend so it's like okay i think People tend to fail to go to the next step and say, well, you know, okay, I've, I've paid for a game and maybe my objection is I don't want to feel that that game experience has been deliberately um, kind of hobbled in order to force me into paying for an item or paying for a boost that allows me to experience kind of that gives me the intended experience like 
that's a definite problem. And, and there's actually an article we have on the front page by Josh Bicer called uh, Games Don't Need Paid Cheat Codes. And he kind of talks about this where he, he really goes into that nuance to point out that, you know, it, it's one thing to pay some money to get a boost to go through a game way faster. Like in theory, that's just an optional thing. If you want to pay for it, fine. If you don't, fine. You can still enjoy the game without paying for it, whatever. But then there's the other case where developers seem to actively almost kind of break parts of the game to damage your experience enough that you feel sure. compelled to buy these things, which this is a really... a big problem in Shadow of Mordor. Or Shadow of War, yeah. rather. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so that's the kind of nuance that I think we need because what we what can happen is I think we can we can kind of all start going after all these developers for trying to experiment and for you know trying to offer value in different ways that may or may not be legitimate. We can kind of just go after them as a blanket rule or we can really point out practices that are actually anti-consumer and predatory and i think all of that just gets lost in kind of the fog of war um when people are having these debates so yeah it, it feels a, a little bit like the boy who cried wolf you know like if you're gonna yes. say everything is bad and i can prove one thing is fine i'm just not going to listen to you at a certain extent at, at a certain mm. time after hearing you just call everything bad and that that sucks because they're I would say in general microtransactions aren't handled well. I'm not going to say that they're handled uh, well more than they are not. I I think in general they they are not great. Um, for when when I see a multiplayer game where I can uh, play any character from the get go, but if I pay a microtransaction i can use a skin to make that character look aesthetically different that's fantastic i don't think i've ever had a problem with that um just it's a fun color change that like yeah th this game could use a little bit more money than the money you've paid for already so you can buy another character skin i i really can't see that being too much of an issue however there there is a very predatory thing in a lot of mobile games where they'll give you mm. like five turns to do something yeah. every few yes. hours and you can pay past that that sucks that is awful that is incredibly predatory and manipulative and it makes you feel like yes. every moment not just every moment that you uh aren't wisely spending with your game is being wasted every moment past that one hour where you've refilled all mm -hmm. of your turns that you're not playing the game is being wasted because you've moved less in that mm -hmm. day than you have uh than you've had the opportunity to move and yeah. it, it that sucks and that shouldn't be compared to assassin's creed or uh, odyssey although to be honest i i haven't exactly looked through exactly what odyssey does with all its particulars i i'm not quite as well versed on it as probably you or jason schreier are but um uh, from what i'm hearing yeah I, I i agree that that can't just it, it shouldn't automatically be called cancer because it's not disintegrating the game from the inside like some microtransactions are um yeah, yeah. I, I think your comparison there's spot on because i think what what 
could be tempting is to take something like Assassin's Creed Origins to look at the fact that there are microtransactions in there, there is an in-game store, and to then sort of say, without going any further, to then sort of say, oh, well, that's in the same bucket as Candy Crush or that's in the same bucket as, you know, pick any mobile game that, that forces you to pay for extra turns and is a complete ripoff. Um, and aside from the fact that that's not factually accurate, it's also like as I'm playing this game that as I described at the top of the show is just this really wonderful experience. You can really tell that the team has put great care into creating this experience. Um to just write that off completely because of one aspect. And even if that one aspect were problematic, which I don't really think it is from what I've seen, but let's say that it was, let's say that they, you know, that, um, that, that I'm just thinking that I don't think they do this anyway. I was going to say, let's say they did kind of hobble the game in order to force you into transactions, which is not sure. something I've seen. But whatever, let's say that was a problem in Odyssey. Yeah. Um, You still get into a position where um, you're, you have an overall experience and let's say five or 10% of that experience is a problem or isn't great. What do you do in that situation? Do you write off the other 90% or do you actually have enough nuance to say, well, this is actually a really wonderful experience for the most part, but it's a little bit let down by a bad decision over here that, you know, isn't great, but it's still worth playing. It's still a great experience, which I think is what Jason's sort of trying to point out, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater just because it says, just because there's microtransactions there. Yeah. I wouldn't even say that it's like, I don't know if it's possible to be completely okay for a retail priced game, a full retail price game to have micro microtransactions. I'm not even saying it can be okay, but it, it like, there's a big difference between it disqualifying a game from being good and just being like, we don't review games at super jump, but like a couple points off a final score on a review or something like the, the, there's a difference yeah. there. And, and, and it's uh it's worth talking about and worth explaining why you feel that way. And mm. at, at, at a certain point, I, I suppose that is probably what YouTubers are doing. They are th- they are saying how they feel about it and what they feel is disgust and, and an outrage, uh, which, you know, is how they feel. So I'm, I'm on some level glad to hear it. Like on some level, I'm happy that that's out there and, and that like we know um, what the consensus is on it. But on another much larger level, it, it, it's it's short sighted and it's tainting the conversation, um, and it's it's just not it's not as good as other forms of discourse that other people are putting out. Like it, it, it at, at a certain point, it it seems rude to say this, but some people's opinions are worse than others. I definitely think that's the case. I absolutely think it's the case that people's opinions can be worse than others, and when they uh when they present them in in such black and white ways with little room for for recourse and they don't offer a solution they only get mattered the existence of the thing uh mm. and and they can conf- conflate it with other things that are clearly worse but like technically have some through line so they feel good about the comparison 
that's that's a bad opinion. <laughs> that's a bad, destructive, toxic opinion, and, and we need to be look at on the uh, lookout for that kind of thing. Yeah, and I mean, going back to your earlier point, like they, and I don't think I think Jason would probably agree with this. Like, you, there's no question here of saying these people shouldn't say what they feel or or shouldn't speak about it. I mean, they they have as much right to as anyone else. But you know, I think the the point is if you put an opinion out there in the public sphere at all, uh, I mean, people are going to disagree with you and your views might be challenged and that's okay. And hopefully, I mean, I think the point is not to reach agreement or consensus. The point is to, the point is to be able to have a, a nuanced and respectful conversation. I think that's the most interesting thing. Um, it's, it's actually not about agreement or disagreement it's just you know we all love games that's why we're here um we can disagree and that's fine but let's have a really great constructive discussion about it right 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 um so that's going to do it for the majority of today's show thank you so much for being on james uh this was this was a great episode uh if you want to be read on the show you can write into podcast at superjumpmagazine.com that's podcast at superjumpmagazine.com you can uh write in a question and we'll answer it or a comment and and we'll read it or if you if you specify in the email we uh will also just take emails that aren't for the show uh we won't read it if you don't want it to be read um, but until next time, let's leave the listener, James, with some after-school activities. My after-school activity this time is, uh, a weird recommendation for me, especially coming off of that last discussion. It's a game I have not played, and I kind of just want to know what's up. This is, <laughs> this is, uh, a weird use of after-school activities I've never tried before, but it's just, I want some information. Tell me how Dragalia Lost is. I, if you have some time, if you're not opposed to it, check out the game Dragalia Lost because more people... It, it's been more successful in its first few weeks than a, the Animal Crossing phone game, which is pretty ridiculous to me. It means a lot of people are playing this and then not talking about it at all. <laughs> a lot of people are playing this game and then not bringing it up online in any circle whatsoever because, like, I don't know what people's thoughts are on this game. Like, I have no idea. I have no idea whatsoever. Is this good? Is it bad? Is it shoddily made? Does it feel like a Nintendo game? Does it feel more like a regular phone game? What's going on in Dragalia Lost? I have no idea. <laughs> I just I, I just kind of want your input, listener. So, so check it out, I suppose. Uh, James, what, what's your after-school activity? Uh, so mine's a bit of a weird one too, just because I, I normally recommend either a game or a YouTube video. Um, I want to recommend trying, if you, especially if you've never done this before, try attending a meetup in your area. Um, now I'm using, a, and there's probably a million different variations of this, but the biggest one I think is a website called meetup.com. Um, and, it, you know, you, you just go on and search for meetups in your interest area or in whatever region you live in. There's a whole bunch of them, thousands and thousands. And uh, I've been attending the... There's a, a meetup group called Melbourne Game Developers. I think it's now called Melbourne Game Creatives. 
And, you know, there's about, I think there's about 16 or 1700 people in the group. Um, they do wow. monthly, monthly show and tell sessions. And they also do co-working days on weekends. Um, and that's been really, really awesome because I've been going to, I think I've gone to three of them now, met a lot of people, seen a lot of just insanely cool stuff that, that people are working on. And these are often just individuals, um, you know, who are, who are developing a project who have no particular kind of plan around release or publishing or anything. They're making some amazing, amazing stuff. Um, some of which I'm hoping we can cover in super jump as well. Sure. Um, and it's just been awesome to see. And, you know, like we'll, a group of us will go out for dinner some nights afterwards and, it's, it's great socially. It's great to see what's happening. Um, I'm attempting to start my own meetup for gaming media in Melbourne. So uh, anyone that's in Melbourne that's interested in that, you can just search Melbourne Gaming Media on meetup.com and check it out. Um, haven't planned the first meetup yet, but there'll probably be something. I'll probably arrange something in the city um, over the next couple of months before Christmas. Um, yeah, I highly recommend it. It's really cool. That's great. That's a, that's a good feel good after school activity. Yeah. Uh, uh, so if you have the time and the ability, please subscribe to us wherever you can, wherever you listen to podcasts, review us on iTunes. If you can tell a friend, uh, follow us on our social media. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're of course on medium, which is where our actual magazine, super jump magazine is, is, uh, held any of those places. Uh, if you want to do any of those things, that all benefits us to um, a, a disproportionately high <laughs> ratio compared to like <laughs> anything we can do on our own to uh, ex- expand the brand of, of Super Jump. So if you do like the show, please do any of those things. It helps a lot. So thanks for listening and stay super! <laughs>